Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Frontline, where we interview first responders from all over Chautauqua County. Our first guest is John Staley, a longtime volunteer with Bemis Point Fire Department. While he has many accomplishments from his time in the fire service, to me, John is my personal mentor in the fire service, but also in Christianity. John and I meet almost every Monday to do a Bible study and chat about the fire department. I'm very excited and grateful that he took the time to chat with me today. So let's start with the first question. What year did you get into the fire service? I think <laughs> it was 1967. 1967. Uh, I, I think I was, uh, and we didn't keep real good records back then, you know, but yeah. I think um, that I, I was, uh, a, it might have been a latter part of my junior year in high school or uh, senior year in high school. So it was 67 or 68. Now you were in the military too. So did you join and then take uh, time away from the fire department then? Yeah. So, um, so I finished my senior year in high school, still a member of the department. Right. And then I went away one year to college. And, and that didn't uh, pan out. It didn't pan out. I, I didn't realize you had to study and pass grades and put effort in. Yeah. So anyways, I, <laughs> That was uh, one year, and I was done with that. It was a small college, Salem College in West Virginia. And then came home, and then uh, during the summer, decided to join the Army. And uh, so I enlisted and um, joined the Army and uh, served in three years in the Army. So... I was in the fire department really probably um, a year and a half, two years all total before I yeah. went in the army and, um, and was gone during that time. And then when I moved back home, um, we rented an apartment and Bemis Point. So I joined again, the fire department. So they gave me first military leave when I was gone. Sure. So, now yeah. back in, in that time, what was the calls like as far as the numbers go? Was was it a lot? Was it a little? Well, now you're in Bemis uh, Fire Department, and for anybody who doesn't know where that is, it's around the edge of the lake. Um, but did you have a lot of call volume back then? Yeah, I think it was pretty much what it is now. Um, I think we run, I should check on that, but I think we run like, 236 calls or something sure. like that. Um, nothing like Lakewood, of course. <laughs> That's just a couple days worth of Lakewood. <laughs> but uh, but I I, uh, I think that's around the number. So we're just in the middle for being busy for volume. Sure. We had a lot of fires. Yeah. A lot of fires. All districts did back then. Because you didn't have the codes, electrical wasn't as good. You, the the oh. buildings were different. Um, the appliances. Um, we we had a lot of fires. I feel like there's been a trade off over the evolution of 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 fire code, because we do have less fires now. I mean, I don't know how many fires we went to last year in Lakewood, um, but now less fires but more hazardous fires the building materials and people don't realize this that are being used uh 
buildings are catching on fire and burning down faster than they ever did before. Absolutely. And, and off, I always think when I go to a fire now, um, the amount of heavier black smoke and intense orange um, that you have and it, it, the smoke even seems to react a little different where yeah. in the old days, pretty much it, you, you, plastics were starting then, but they weren't as much. So really the class C material, um, the, the, there was such a, there was such a difference between the classes, I guess you could say, although it's a lot of it's the same, but, um, you know, class A material would, uh, you, you just had so much regular clothing, cotton clothing, things like that, where now uh, it's just about the reverse. So that stuff's nasty and hot. And then it also sticks to all of our turnout gear too, all that nasty carcinogens. Um, that's something we have to be cautious about because that's stuff that causes cancer. Mm-hmm. And there's fire code for a reason. And there's so many people, even contractors that I've heard from who are trying to push past that. And they say, ah, you don't really need that. I had a contractor in my house. I I put the five eights fire code on my ceiling. He goes, you really don't need to do that. And I go, yes, I do. Why not? You, you want to do it. You want to spend the money. It's it's code. So why not? And he goes, well, you just don't need it. He goes, they're just, you know, they don't, they, they like to make new laws and regulations. They don't care how it affects people. And I'm like, well, that, that slows the spread of the fire to the second floor. I guess a good question to him would have been, have you ever been in a fire? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> no, probably not. No. <laughs> so throughout the years of service, you've held a lot of titles. Let me go back. Can I? Yeah. Just, what, what, so you were talking about, um, the increase in, in health uh, yeah. issues when you're fighting fire with all the nasty stuff now. Um, when I joined Bemis, uh, we had various turnout gear, a few old rubber coats still. Yeah. And that was 67, 68, you know. Yeah. Um, few old rubber coats, but mainly uh, heavy canvas type coats no bunker pants and um and then full length boots yeah but those were all tied on the engines uh you didn't have your own all right so they were tied and fastened to the two engines in our department and then we had two air packs we've always had scott air packs but we had two yeah and um, and they were, you know, on demand masks. Yeah. So you had to have that seal or else you were in deep trouble. Big trouble. Um, but then they would tie a rope around you to send in the two guys with the masks. And mm-hmm. then the rest of us would leather lung it, um, just without masks. So that was leather lung it. Leather lung. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun term. Yep. Yep, that's what it was called back then when you when you did, you went in without and so many departments didn't even have them. So yeah. so uh, you leather lunged at the rest of us. So 
Um, what was it like going? So I assume at that time you were an interior fireman. Mm-hmm. What was it like going into a fire at that time in that kind of gear? It was, it was really hard because of course it didn't breathe. Yeah. Um, you had a lot of heat going up under your coat. Yeah. And, um, and that mask was really difficult because they were generally always fogging up and um, just the least little bit sometimes of turning and whatever um, you, you, you could get a break in the seal and then you're sucking in the bad stuff. And um, the tanks were heavy and they didn't last long. So we went through a lot of tanks uh, when we were, when we were doing that. And we relied a lot, more back then on the county heavy rescue trucks. Um, so with, for us in Bemis Rescue 7, which was housed in Fluvanna, um, had fill capabilities and extra bottles. And so you, you relied a lot on departments like that. A department like Lakewood always had more of their own equipment and sure. was used for mutual aid. And that was a real advantage to other departments to have somebody like Lakewood around, but a lot of your smaller departments didn't have the money to get that yeah. stuff. You relied a lot on your, uh, even on the heavy rescue for extrication equipment, yeah, uh, things like that, more smoke ejectors. That, that, so you would call um, for those, that heavy rescue units a lot. And at that time, I don't think that villages, cities, any other departments really had a lot of funding for the fire service. I think that they increasingly over the years saw the advantage to pouring money into it, mm-hmm. to be able to get better gear, to get better yeah. bottles, to get better everything, to get better trucks. And they kind of had to as as prices increased. I mean, how much was a fire truck in 1966 versus now? That's right. Now they're half a million to a million dollars right. for a fire truck. Yeah. And uh, things like, when the Jaws of Life, as they yeah. called it, um, first came out, the only one to have it close by was Jamestown. Oh, wow. And um, so that was even up into the early 70s. Uh, it was Jamestown. So I can remember some bad wrecks uh, where we called Jamestown and they would come up with Engine One wow. with, with their Jaws of Life. And so you really now, as an old timer looking at all the massive amounts of equipment yeah. we have, it's wonderful. You know, it's yeah. wonderful. Um, but back in those days, we, we just didn't just have it. Didn't have it. So what would you have done on a car rack back then before the jaws? Would you, have, did you have halogen bars back then? Yeah. Oh yeah. And we always had the hand tools Yeah. and, um, lighter capacity, um, hydraulic tools. Sure. You know, so we would, uh, do it that way. And then it did once jaws of life came up and we saw what Jamestown was doing and probably Lakewood got, was one of the first ones to get them. Um, once we saw that, then we started buying them a lot around. And, um, there was a real increase. I would say 70, so early 70s was when um, there was a real increase in equipment. 
um, technology. Mm -hmm. We've always benefited from the Navy and the military, um, but we were kind of, for years, a side benefit um, of the military for the fire service. Things weren't, it was a leftover thing. Yeah. And uh, that they adapted to the fire service. And then during that time, then it started uh, changing from the fire mm-hmm. service and space uh, exploration to, or from the space exploration, the military, we kind of finally started getting our own designed equipment from manufacturers in the, hmm. in the early seventies, mid seventies. So would you say that's when bunkers and, and yeah. all that came? Yep. And, um, when they all came up, there were still a lot of them were cotton and then Nomex and yeah. Ron Gore and his Gore-Tex and all that was a really big deal because it, it made life a lot easier, but it was still heavy and uh, cumbersome. Well, they're still heavy. And and they still are. It's interesting, <laughs> but it's a, it's a unique product that's needed of fire protection. So it's got to be heavier when you think about it yep but it's got to be able to breathe but it is so much so much better but you would so often you would just come out of that fire in in the old days and you'd just be cooked like a lobster oh sure inside you know it's really wearing all that rubber yeah yeah and then then we so then we bunker pants uh, finally took over and that that was a big help because a lot of guys got burned on their legs yeah, uh, the old ways, and um, and Nomex hoods and all those things just started. You guys had to be pretty excited at that time when you started getting the new gear. You had to be pretty excited. I, I when I was chief, and uh, our chiefs and Bemis and I, I mean, we just kept buying stuff, and yeah. it wasn't because we were buying toys and we wanted to look cool. It was because it was such so important because it was life life saving you know you know one thing I, I i don't know if i've ever heard anybody complain about the fire service having too much gear you know outside civilians i've never really heard anybody complain about it you hear them complain a lot about politics and and uh trucks maybe and yeah, apparatus some but they they just they don't ever that i've never heard anybody really complain that, that we're too well equipped mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, if their house burns down, you know, they yeah. want you to be well equipped. Yeah. I think also um, more uh, back in my time and before, there were a lot of guys that were in the, had been in the military. Because yeah. when I joined, they were all WW2 guys. Oh, yeah. They were all World War II vets. Um, my dad and all those guys were were World War II guys. So I think the military guys on up through, even to us and now, um, especially if you've been in the military, you have an appreciation for your personal protective yeah. gear. And, you know, our weapons, our, our tools and our nozzles and things like that. And, um, yeah. and so I think military guys always wanted to get that stuff because of their experience in the military. Sure. Carried over into the fire service. Absolutely, and and I find that um, I've been in a couple different departments. Uh, Lakewood's what I've been in for the past two and a half years, and I I find a lot of pride in Lakewood because they're very military esque, and I find that a lot of fire departments are military esque in the way of 
we have standards, we have operating procedures, we have ranks, and that's all for a reason. You have to follow orders. You have to follow orders, you know, and uh, you got lieutenants to captain to assistant chiefs to chief. Yep. And, and it's important, and it's important that every one of them continue their training mm -hmm. so that they can lead the best that they can. There is no difference between the fire in Chicago and New York City and Lakewood and Bemis Point. It burns the same. It kills the same. It destroys the same. Yeah. There is no difference. We have to do the same job. Yeah. Um, heart attacks are the same. There isn't. You can't, there is nothing different. Maybe the buildings are a little different, but it's, it's the same thing. And uh, so why should we expect less? I don't mean um, to be maybe as intense as say a New York City fire department or whatever for some things, but um, we, we have to have that, that paramilitary um, within reason um, environment because um, especially a lot of people that aren't used to that the way yeah. they were brought up they're not used to chain of command and following orders and um, not freelancing they're yeah. not used to that and so it's even kind of a bigger problem now because I don't think you have as many people joining that are used to that yeah, that is it is different because especially during your your entrance into the fire service, there was a lot more people who had been drafted or who had gone into military because there was a bigger call for it, mm -hmm. a bigger desire right. for it and a bigger, you know, pull to it. And so a lot of the people who joined the military at that time were uh, they didn't know what to do with their lives after they came out of the military. And so turning to the fire service. Is kind of like the military, but not. Yes. And and so it, it kind of felt like home to a lot of them. And um, in Bemis, for example, when those guys got out, they built what was the club rooms. And mm -hmm. that is now the Bemis Point Library. And that oh. building is so solid and so well built <laughs> still. Uh, but those WW2 guys built that. And that was their club rooms. And... I, everything, not everything, but so much of your social life as a kid from a, a working class, middle class family um, of those WW2 people in that era, that was your social life. And they did, they had dinners and they had, you know, bingo and they had, um, there was always a Santa Claus and, yeah. you know, parties and, um, cookouts and they did those things and they're playing badminton in the backyard and they're, yeah. you know, they're softball, um, hmm. that, that camaraderie that, that was just natural to them, um, carried over into the, the fire service a lot. And, yeah. um, those softball leagues that we had in the, third battalion and the fourth battalion were just fantastic because it gave guys an opportunity, say in the fourth battalion from Bemis Point to get to know a guy from Cherry Creek that normally he wouldn't know, but they play softball together. Yeah. So. And at the end of the day, I think that you can say that it takes a certain type. Some even say a special type to be in the fire service. You, you see things that other people don't see on a day-to-day -day basis, 
you have to react a way that other people don't normally react uh, faster, thinking on your toes. And you also have to be able to separate. Um, and I, I've seen this a lot. People who can't separate this where a chief will yell on a scene. Hey, you get this, blah, blah, blah. And yep. someone takes it personal. Yep. And say, why were you mad at me on the scene? Well, I wasn't mad. We had a job to do. Yep. But you, you see that often with new guys. Yes. I think um, we, we need to really, when we get new people, um, we really, we, we don't bring them along and mentor them like we should. Sure. And some departments are good at that, but other departments will, um, will just, they assume that they're going to know what you're doing and that you'll jump in. Well, most people are very hesitant about jumping in and doing anything. And so we, we really need to assign mentors and even from the interviewing process, need to talk to them about all the aspects of it. I know um, there, there was a, a story of a, a fire chief and uh, a guy was interviewing with him mm -hmm. and one of our busier departments in the North End. And a guy was interviewing with a, um, for the department, young guy then. Mm -hmm. And so the fire chief is sitting at his desk with his chewing on a cigar <laughs> and, um, and asks him, what do you do? And so he thought it'd be good if he told him all the organizations he was a member in. So he said, I'm in the, this club and this club and I'm doing this. And he goes, that's nice. That's good. Quit them because you're not going to have time now. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> but there's a lot to be said for that because what he was saying is this is a big commitment. Your life depends upon it, the life of people in the community and your brothers and sisters in the fire service. And this ain't like other clubs. It, it is not. There's a social aspect to it. But there's, it's not a social club. Yes. You know, and that's something you develop, that 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 camaraderie you develop over time. Um, I know that when I first joined Lakewood, nobody was, I, I wouldn't use the word standoffish. They simply uh, didn't know me. Yeah. You know, and firemen are not one to sit down at a table and say, Hey, tell me about you. Mm -hmm. You know, we tend to be closed off and, and keep our defenses up, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, there's been people who, who, as I've gone further along, I, you know this, but I've become chaplain of the department. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's people who I've reached out to other chiefs and, and other people. And I said, Hey, I want to get to know you. I want to take you out for coffee. And their response is why? I just want to get to know you. I realize we haven't talked much and I want to get to know you and I want to, uh, you know, just create that relationship, develop it. And they go, but why? It's almost like uh, sometimes say, well, just text me your questions. <laughs> <laughs> because that's so many people aren't used to that verbal human communication. Yeah. And that's yeah. big in the fire service because that's what you do when you're out on the scene. Everything's communication. That's right. And so that's why it's important to have those operating procedures and understanding chain of command. You know, um, I think that I think that a chief can answer 
any question, but that doesn't mean every question should go to the chief. That's oh, absolutely. You know, there's right. there's certain questions. If I was to go to my chief and say, um, the EMS protocols have changed, and I'm reading that we're supposed to do this and this. Where am I going to find this form and do this? He's going to look at me and go, I'm not your EMS captain. You need to go to your EMS captain. She's got all that information. Yeah. Who would be uh, Donna Bryant? She has. Uh, she's turn around. Yeah. And 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 one, it's really a respect from the top down, respecting the chain of command. But also, we're really organized and we're really well at delegating, and it's something I really appreciate. Um, and it's something that I think people really grow to appreciate once they understand it, the it, new guys. But that's top down also because yeah. um, the most dangerous person on the scene is I'm going to do it all fire chief. Yeah. That's the most dangerous person because the job's not getting done. His job is not to to put an air pack on and go in and fight the fire. His yeah. job is not to cut anybody out. His job is to manage the scene. And when I taught, used to teach incident command, I always carried a chain with me. And so I would, uh, in the class, I would have make sure that somebody brought their, their chief gear. Yeah. And I haven't put it on. Number one, the first line of communication is your, what you're wearing. Mm -hmm. So if you're wearing the white outfit mm -hmm. or whatever code may be for that department, along with the chief's helmet and an incident command vest, if you want to detail the scene more, where it says incident commander, um, that's the first line of communication. Because then the police coming up who don't know who you are, but they know yeah. you're the incident commander, the EMS, whoever it may be, the public. The... So I would take that chain then once the chief, the incident commander was dressed, and then I'd put it around his leg, and then I'd put it around, say, a pole in the room or yeah. whatever, or a sign or whatever, and put the other end uh, around that and say, that's his world. <laughs> Whatever that chain stretches for eight feet around that sign, around that, don't put it on trucks because they can move and it can be embarrassing. But, but, the, <laughs> but um, that's where the incident commander is, and yeah. you don't go and do things. And so you're sending a message um, on down of that chain of command. This is how it works. It works down and it works up in a structured way. And, uh, but so often, uh, you have people in the fire service who, um, I think sometimes sociologically have issues and they might be the most important thing they've ever done in their life. And they're going to make sure they're going to keep the rest of the people, uh, barefoot and ignorant. And that's dangerous and it's dangerous and it's demeaning and your people aren't good, um, would have a good attitude from that. And then also, um, it discourages recruitment. Um, yep. and, but the, we do have a lot of people who want to hold the information. They want to lord over people. And, um, we, we cause a lot of our problems, um, 
by not handling people. And it's un, sometimes it's understandable because a lot of these people don't come in life and their jobs, for example, experienced at managing people. And then all of a sudden they're thrown into a situation where they got to manage 30 people on life and death situations and um, you don't, they don't get paid. They can quit at any time in the volunteer ranks. And so that's, that's more of a challenging job some of the ways than being in a career department yeah. where, hey, there's no hey, new guy. You will do it this way or you yeah. don't have a job. You can't do that in the volunteers or you won't have anybody left. You got you to remember they're working with all they have and yeah. they are all you have to work with. Yeah. Now, throughout this, you've talked about when you did this and when you did that. Why don't we talk about all the positions you've held? Oh, um. he's got, he's turning around to look at the wall of awards behind him. That's uh, um, it's massive. Uh, so just within the department, it's like anybody else. I was yeah. president of the, our fire company. We have a fire company like yeah. Lakewood would, and we're under the village for our commissioners. But so I was president of the fire company and then uh, captain of the fire company of the fire department and then assistant chief for quite a while and then chief and then um during the time when i was chief of that then i started working on the county and i was on the fire advisory board and then also um of course the fire chiefs association but on the fire advisory board i was on there as a member from the fourth battalion and then in 1980, um, I was asked to be the battalion, 4th Battalion Fire Coordinator. Um, we didn't do a interview process back in those old days. Um, and so Jack Knowlton and me, yeah. um, we were appointed, that's the way it worked back then, yeah. by the fire coordinator and the county and it was a general agreement with that and um so i was um technically appointed by ralph sanquist and mm -hmm. was fire coordinator then and uh for the fourth battalion so then i was fourth battalion fire coordinator for quite a while don't ask me how long it was a long time <laughs> and then um then i became deputy fire coordinator um and that was under uh i worked under Neil McKnight and Charlie Smith and, uh, and of course, Ralph Sank was way back when, but I was deputy coordinator then and under Julius Leone at the end. And uh, so all total, I was a county deputy fire coordinator for 30 years. And then um, I just decided that was long enough and time for somebody else to step in. And um, so I'm enjoying my time now, I'm a captain of the fire police, which I really get a charge of. I really kind of enjoy doing that, especially in Bemis, a little different. You know, yeah. you can um, talk to all the people going by in the summertime, direct <laughs> traffic. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, the the women really are attracted to older fire policemen. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, you got a good group of guys and a couple of gals on the fire police. And yeah. then I'm on the board of directors for the fire company. You know, so that's it. 
So you, so so you haven't done much then. Yeah. <laughs> it's my dad actually um I'm third generation my grandfather. Oh, I thought was, you were second. I didn't know you were third. No, my grandfather um Bill Carlson, he was the um town of Ellery police officer too. The, oh wow. The, yep, town cop. And then so my grandfather Bill Carlson and then my dad Bob Staley and then me. So the uh you mentioned talking to people as they go by and 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 I find it funny because so John and I meet uh usually every Monday morning and we do uh Bible study together of some sort and if we don't do Bible study it's because we got off track talking about the fire service <laughs> but it's easy to do it's very easy to do and it's funny we'll do it on his porch during the summer with everybody walking by and about every three minutes, someone walks by and walks up to his porch. Hey, John. And there's, there's always he knows everybody in this village and knows everything about them. And uh, I, I find it great the 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 rapport you have with everybody in this village. It's amazing. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. I imagine so. Now, would you have going back to your dad? Would you have ever joined the fire service if you didn't grow up with him in the fire service? I I. I often think about that, Jake, because um, I, I, if I, um, probably not, because it was just always such a big part of our family. Um, yeah. So it was just something I was going to do. Yeah. And um, I didn't think anything of it, really. It was just a thing to do and, and to help out. But I have to say that now, if I was a young guy moving into Bemis Point, fire district I don't know if I would join because of the mandates and the time commitment and what I believe are over the top mandates and from the state you're saying from the state yeah and and I don't I I just think it's not needed as much and don't get me wrong I know I could get in a real row with instructors (laughs) instructors <laughs> and whatever you can never have enough training yeah. well that's true one thing but you can also only have enough time and so it's a it's i believe that those in albany and our metropolitan areas the bureaucrats in our government and our politicians and so many of the places in new york state never really wanted volunteer firemen I think that um, they don't understand it. They've always come up, many of them, in career department areas or a lot more heavier population. So they don't understand the need. And number two, for also for unions input. And I think that, that they have never made it easy on the volunteer fire service to exist in New York State. We do it because we started Bemis Point in 1920 because there was a need and they just started it and that department and key people just kept building it and the founding fathers took it on their own to do it. And now you just can't expect it all that they're mandating from our EMTs and even the firefighters now. It's and, a lot. And the 
when I just just around the time I was retiring as coordinator, um, all of a sudden the training just like exploded. There was everything you could think of. And I really believe that it's because some people are being opportunistic, that the training means money to them, the manuals mean money to them. Um, those that are teaching, and I, I know this sounds a little radical, but sometimes it's easy for them to say, we need this course. We got to have this course. And they pile it on more and more. And if you don't take it, there's liability on the department and on the officers. And so they make it more and more difficult where these people just can't do it. They have jobs, they have families, and um, it's over the top. Do you think that what, one of the things I have found with a lot of volunteer organizations, um, and this this not just the fire department, but but any volunteer organization, you can't really control a volunteer. Mm-hmm. It's really really hard to do because, like you said earlier, they can just walk away, and so the state might not like the the volunteers because they can't control us. Mm-hmm. They can try with mandates. But that only goes so far. And I think that we're in this 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 catch-22 because if if they do so much that we don't like and it pushes us out and we start losing people, which has happened in the past, then our departments start failing. And then they say, look, this just proves you guys need us more. Yes. And so it's this horrible catch-22. self-fulfilling prophecy that they yeah. have. And they, and that's intentional. Yeah, and and I believe fully in in the paid departments that we do have. Like Jamestown is a fantastic absolutely. department, absolutely needed, well trained, incredibly smart guys. Yes, uh, we've got a couple of them in Lakewood, who who yep. uh, work there, and and just the the level of fire intelligence that they have is great. And then they pass it on to us. That's right. Which is really amazing. And they coordinate some of the drills we have and their captains and their lieutenants. And it's just amazing. But yeah, that, that control from the state is something completely different than, than what other agencies would expect who were paid. They don't. And have we're that. not, we need to understand that um, in, in particular in Lakewood or in uh, Chautauqua County, we're not a metropolitan area. And so we don't have, um, we're, we're a county that loses people. Yeah. Our population keeps going down. We keep getting older and industrially. And so we don't have the people to choose from as yeah. much as we used to. Look at the numbers in schools. When I was in school, as compared to now and, and all the kids in an area, you don't have that now. And um, we can't expect all the volunteer fire people to um, be as intensely trained as they would expect a career person that does it every day going to work. And, and so we need to find that happy medium in there where we, where we um, make it work but, but yet um, they, they need to back off because what's going to happen is taxpayers get your wallets out. 
Yep. So it's going to be huge when we finally give up the firefighting also. We're, you know, we're having trouble with medic calls now, medi medical calls, and we've made great gains and have a great system in Chautauqua County, but um, it's starting in, in the fire now, and yeah. um, it it's uh, going to get worse, and the taxation, but I think people sitting in Albany, I think those bureaucrats and politicians in our more metropolitan areas just think, yep, okay, fine, we'll just pay for it. That's that's the way it is. And but and, but uh, they're not the ones actually paying for it. Who's yeah, paying for it? Hey, that's we right. Are. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's great to offer training. I think it's great to say, hey, Chautauqua County, New York State, here's all of this training that's available to you. But how much mandating should actually be required? Yes. 